Hey there, and welcome back to the next episode of the Mass Business Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I am so happy to be here today. I'm wearing my brand new high five shirt. My book launches tomorrow. Super excited about that, and also super excited about our next guest on the podcast. Uh, our next guest is Paige Arnoff Fenn. She's the founder and CEO of Mavens and Moguls, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her clients include Microsoft, Virgin, the New York Times Company, Colgate, venture backed startups, as well as nonprofit organizations. She's graduated from the Stanford University from Stanford University and the Harvard Business School. Paige serves on special several boards and is a popular speaker and communal No, not that. A popular speaker and columnist who has written for Entrepreneur and Forbes. I'm so excited to bring you our next guest, Paige Arnoff Fend. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Mass Business Podcast, where small business owners, also known as risk takers, share their stories about the growth of their business and themselves. Our interviews and our content is focused on growing a small business and understanding networking and referrals. I say it all the time, and I'll say it again today. You never know where your next referral will come from. Half of the world. Hey, welcome to the show, Paige. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. I uh, want to make sure that people understand that I did flub that introduction. You are a columnist, to use my words correctly. Uh, uh, but in just uh, under 30 seconds, tell our podcast listeners on their favorite app and also those watching on YouTube what it is you do. I basically am a marketing consultant. I work with organizations to help them find the right words and pictures to tell their story in compelling ways. Got it. And so you've been working, you're a small business yourself, yes? Is it just you and some consultants or do you have employees? Well, I've, got about, I've got about four dozen independent contractors that work under the Mavens and Muggles umbrella. And I started it about 20 years ago. It's so hard to believe. Yeah. I remember when I had my agency, right? It wasn't, it, you know, we had eight full-time people and probably another, I don't know, a dozen part-time contractors here and there, depending on the project. And, uh, I ran that for 16 years up to 2018. It was quite, quite the ride. I started it in 2002. Uh, when did you start your company? Right after 9-11, literally. Yeah, so you've been going 30 years. years. 20 yeah, 30 years. That's 30 years. No. 9-11 was 2001, uh, wasn't it? Uh, and it's 2021. So is it 20 years? It's yeah, I guess it's 20 years because I ran my company years. 16 years and I started in 02, right? And I yep. sold it in 18. So, okay, yeah. Yep. So right around 20 years. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like it's been 30 years <laughs> since 9-11, right? Um, dog years. Yeah, do dog years. I have to deal with that every year because that happens to be my birthday as well. So oh, it's wow. always one of those crazy days. Um, so what has, has been your... Um, I mean, as a marketing consultant, right, the, I run into this all the time because when I was in the web world and now as a business coach or a referral coach, I run into marketing consultants all the time. Um, what makes a marketing consultant 
effective at what they do? Like how, how does a company work with a marketing consultant in a way that's going to help them grow? How do they pick the right one? So there are a lot of good ones out there. I definitely am not the only uh, person that could, could help. Um, in my experience, I think the best marketing consultants know what they know and know what they don't know. And they, if they don't know something, they either know people that can help you that they would either pull in or refer you to. I think where you get into a marketing malpractice situation is when people either overpromise or um, kind of stretch beyond their comfort zone. Um, in my case, you know, I'm I'm a classically trained um, consumer packaged goods marketer. I started my marketing career at Procter and Gamble back in 1990. Mm. Um, you know, P and G invented the concept of brand management, and they compete in a number of different categories. And every category they compete in, they're at least number one, if not number one and two. So you're talking, you know, Pantene for shampoo and Pampers diapers and Bounty paper towels and Charmin toilet paper. And I mean, every category, they are the leader. So I learned, you know, it was like marketing boot camp. I always tell people I got my MBA at Harvard, but I got my PhD in marketing at Procter and Gamble. They, they invented the concept and they drill it into you. It is absolute boot camp. You learn every single part of the marketing mix and having worked there for three years, I feel like I really got grounded in the fundamentals. And then I kind of branched out from there. I uh, ran a global program for the Olympics for the 96 games in Atlanta. Then I went to Coca-Cola as assistant chief marketing officer. And again, Coca-Cola, the most recognized brand in the world. Um, so I think being well-trained um, is a great foundation, but you know, you have a lot of the, uh, trappings around you. And I always questioned in my corporate marketing days, was I good or was the company good? Like, am I well, just- right? Because they, they had an unlimited budget basically compared to every small business who's listening to this, but there's probably and people driving right friends. now going, oh, I don't have the budget of Coca-Cola. Right. Exactly. And you know, those brands, the brands I worked on at PNG were decades old. Coca-Cola, you know, is over a hundred years old. So I always wondered, you know, is it me or is it the fact that I've got this legacy brand that's loved where you do have just millions, tens of millions of dollars. Um, so I left Coca-Cola mm -hmm. uh, when the dot com, when kind of dot com 1.0, the, the kind of first wave of the internet in the mid to late nineties, when that started, I got bitten by the dot com bug. And I went and ran marketing at my first startup out in Los Angeles in the music and entertainment space. No one had ever heard of it before, but I really considered myself kind of a pop culture junkie. Uh, the last brand I worked for at Procter & Gamble was CoverGirl Cosmetics. They don't own it anymore. But, you know, for work, I got to read People and Cosmopolitan and Rolling Stone. And, you know, you had to be up on all the kind of cool, hip um things to be able to, you know, successfully market a cosmetics brand. And so I kind of went from the fashion and cosmetics world into the music and entertainment world, which was a very easy transition. And the company was out in Los Angeles. 
And it was, like I said, the Wild West. It was the before the, the internet bubble burst the first time. And it was a wild ride. We raised about $30 million when it was super easy to raise money. Almost all of it went into marketing. We went public in 1999 and then we were sold to Yahoo and it became Yahoo Music. So that was incredibly fun. And then I got hired by a second internet startup. It was a business to business portal. So that was my first foray out of the kind of B2C world, consumer marketing into more B2B. Um, and we also raised a lot of money and also ended up getting sold to a larger private company. The dirty little secret I always tell people is everyone thinks when you go public, you get rich. Well, I, I made a little money, it was good, but you know I was in the prospectus, so I couldn't sell my stock until it was way off the peak. When a private company buys you, they just write you a check and you can go to the bank and deposit it. So if you ever have the choice, get bought, don't go public. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, so when you when you started doing your own thing, what was the real difference between sort of working for these big conglomerates with head on the money, and now you're a marketing consultant and you have to market yourself? What right. exactly so, did you do when you started 20 years ago to get the marketing going? Like think way back, think back to, right to the very beginning. What's the first couple things you did in week one or month one of your business? So the, the most important thing is you need a good name, you need a good logo, you need a good tagline, and you need a website. You do not exist today if people can't find you online. And I, I became, after having big corporate marketing brands and big budgets, and then going to scrappy entrepreneurial brands with these startups, I did three startups as the head of marketing, um, and all three of them had good exits. So I felt like, okay, I did learn something. I learned the fundamentals, and I was able to translate that into a small business where all three of those businesses ended up getting bought or going public or both. And then when you do it for yourself, when you're the brand, it's almost the scariest of all. You don't you have the least amount of budget maybe, but the brand is you. And you know, it's very easy for me to promote a product or a service where I can just point to that, tell you these are the greatest features, these are the greatest benefits. But when people are hiring you as a professional service, and it's your firm and it's you behind the brand, you have to you have to treat yourself. I mean, you are the brand. Even though my name is not on the, on the logo, my name is not the name of the company. My company is Mavens and Moguls. I am absolutely associated with that brand. So getting the right kind of look and feel from the very first days was absolutely critical. And then once you kind of start with, again, you're starting with your foundation, with your fundamentals, and you build slowly from the ground up. So you figure out, how am I going to get those very first clients that can be reference, you know, reference testimonials for you to help you build those case studies so that you can continue to grow and, and how would you recommend sort of professional services do get those first clients? Because I think getting that ball rolling and you know, I talk a lot about referrals. Referrals rarely come from clients. Most people, most time people think that they do. They come from referral sources instead. But for the people that think that they come from clients, how do they get their first client to 
to, to really move, move that forward? So Matt, this is a, a great question. And you and I were talking about this before the show today. I got my very first client from giving a talk. And I think I don't consider myself like a professional speaker in that I don't make my living on the professional speaker circuit, but I love doing public speaking. And my very first client, I was invited to come speak to a group of women entrepreneurs and women business owners. And I gave a talk about kind of demystifying marketing. And this was literally, I had just hung out my shingle, gotten my business cards. And I gave a talk about why I think my, my tagline is because marketing matters. So I'm very passionate about marketing. I really believe in marketing. I think a lot of people think of marketing as a necessary evil. I actually believe it's incredibly powerful. I had a marketing professor in business school that used to say marketing is everything and everything is marketing. And I used to always snicker when he said it. I'd like giggle and be like, whatever. The truth is the longer I've been doing this, I think it is all about marketing. So I gave a talk to a group of women. There were maybe, I don't know, a hundred women in the room. Afterwards, one of the women, several women came up to talk to me and get my business card. One of the women said to me, could I get two cards? Because I have a friend who's a small business owner and he really could use your help. I'd love to make an introduction. I'm going to be seeing him tomorrow and I'd love to give him your card and make, a, and make an introduction and have him follow up with you. I said, absolutely. The very next day, she made an e-intro. He and I met that week and he was my very first client and it became a $10,000 a month retainer piece of business. And I was up and up and running. We were ready to go. So I, I am a big fan of public speaking. I also like content marketing. I'm a, I like to write. So I do a lot of, I, I, as you said, I used to do a regular column for Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes Magazine every month. So I, I write, I speak, I contribute. I, I like to guest blog. I don't have my own blog, but I, you know, I love contributing to other people's blogs. And if you, um, if you stick to your strengths, and I know that's one of your kind of core tenants, yeah. and that's maybe the theme of your year this year for your show, I know what my strengths are. What I'm, are they? I'm a good Is it writing? I'm a good yeah. It's writing. It's speaking. I'm at my core. I'm a, I'm a communicator. I like talking. If you talk to people who know me, they say, oh my God, she can talk your ear off. So I know what, what's right for me. And I just stick to my strengths. And that's, that was the path that got me my first client. And then it started growing from there. Did you know your strengths before you went into business or did you start discovering them after you were already in your own business? So that's a great question. I think when things come natural to you, you know, I don't, I don't think I ever realized I never thought of myself. It's like, Oh, I'm a great speaker. But the truth is I love telling stories. I love sitting around talking to people. I always wrote postcards and kept journals and I think when enough people start telling you or bosses say, let's give that project to Paige, she's really good at that. When you start hearing it over and over and over, you, you learn through experience that, huh, I'm pretty good at this. Um, those were my best grades. Those were the things that my bosses appreciated the most. Those are the things my friends would always refer to. You know, I love that thing you wrote. Could you write something else? 
I would, you know, I could really use your help. Would you give a speech at this thing for me? And so I think it was like the red flashing sign in front of me. And finally, I just said, oh, I guess this really is good. And I mean, I'm sure people who are naturally gifted athletes, you know, Michael Jordan was a good athlete before he was Michael Jordan. But it doesn't mean you don't train, you don't practice, but you do get better over time. And I think you just kind of embrace your strengths and kind of perfect them as you age and you stick to that. You know, I think I'm much more comfortable now delegating things that are not as intuitive or natural for me because I realize as much as I try and work hard, I'm probably never going to be as good as those at those things as other people who love that. So that was kind of the premise of my whole business. I assembled a group of what I considered to be these marketing rock stars and everybody gets to do exactly what they do best. So if you need, you know, technology PR, I have the best technology PR people. If you need a logo and a tagline, I will introduce you to those people. But you don't have to do things you don't like doing. I just assemble the great yeah you know, the greatest talent for the people that love doing what they do. And I mean, I, I think that one of the challenges with the strength side of a small business owner is we often don't, there's two, two sides to it, right? The first is there's a chicken and the egg issue, outsourcing versus money to pay for the outsourcing and, and yeah. outsourcing our, our weaknesses and sticking to our strengths. Right. And then the second side of it is really just, um, you know, there's the control side. Um, and, and actually now that I think of it, there's probably a third side, which is really just not knowing the strength. I think strengths come with time and we start to, as we develop, we go, Oh wait, that's a weakness. Oh wait, I'm much better at this. Oh wait, I'm doing this task. And while I like to do it, I'm not necessarily great at it. I could probably, you know, like bookkeeping, I could probably have somebody do my bookkeeping and, and, or even my marketing or my Facebook ads or my Facebook posting or whatever it might be. And I think too often we don't take time to pause and think about what we should be outsourcing. Now, um, early on in your business, when you go way back as, as a marketing consultant, what do you think you struggled with back then? Oh boy. Um, I mean, I think as a new, new business owner, as an entrepreneur, everything is so new. And as you said, you don't even know what you're the best at yet. I think I was very quick to outsource things like accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, legal, all the things that I just knew. Like you said, I didn't want to spend the time and energy that I get paid well to do the work I do well. So I wanted to spend as much of my kind of waking hours and energy doing the stuff that I can get kind of top dollar for. And a mentor once said to me, you know, if you have a problem and you have the money, any problem that can be solved with money is not a problem when you have the money. And I think that's not bad advice. So, you know, if you don't like doing accounting, if you don't like doing your bookkeeping, find those people who love it and, you know, pay them fairly. They'll, they'll knock it out of the park every time. Yeah. You don't, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I can just go online and build kind of a, a you know, a simple website. Well, you can do it. But is that really what you want to do? over your holiday or every weekend right. or nights and weekends. You really want to pay your house. 
Like when, when I ran when I ran an agency, I heard that all the time. I can do it for a third of the money. Okay, yeah, you know what? You can. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, it's interesting because I I think now it's kind of you know this whole there's, there's a whole issue with chicken and the egg uh, with small business owners, right? Um, how long did it take you to get involved with networking when you started your own business? So I, I am a big fan of networking. I hit the ground running on the networking front. Um, I, you and I were joking before. I'm not a big joiner in general, mm-hmm. but because I was a first time entrepreneur, I quickly realized I kind of needed to find my tribe. And I joined two groups of women entrepreneurs and women business owners right out of the gates. Um, I'm very active in my alma mater alumni clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, I ran my college alumni club. I've been on the board of both my college and my grad school's boards. So I was very, very active in a networking standpoint to the point where, and I'm married to a fellow entrepreneur, and we started our companies within about six weeks of each other. And he's the cook of the family. So I don't cook at all. And we were both working nonstop in the early days. So I literally would go to networking events for breakfast, lunch, and cocktails, like at least four days a week, because he would get up and need to work and I'd get up. And if he wasn't fixing breakfast, I got to (laughs) eat. So I would show up at a breakfast event, a lunch event, a coffee event, a cocktail event. You were replacing your husband's cooking with networking freebie breakfast and lunch. Not really freebie because you probably ate 20, 30 bucks to go to it. But, you know, someone was fixing my food and (laughs) I, I got to meet great people. And the people in my company, in my organization used to joke. When they had those events where it was like a seated, you're at a table, that they should put signs next to my chair, the chairs next to me, that say, be careful, this chair is going to cost at least $25,000. Because I end up talking to people. I love to chat. I love to kind of hear what's happening. And so I'd be sitting next to somebody and I'd say, so what do you do? You know, what's your biggest problem? you know, what's going on? What do you wish you could get fixed? What, you know, and they talk and talk. I just ask a few open-ended questions. And by the end of the meal, I'd, we'd exchange cards. I'd go back to the office. I'd send them a note and say, I loved chatting with you this morning. You know, you mentioned you wish that you had, you know, materials for the trade show coming up. You, you mentioned that you wish that you could get on a speaking circuit or, you know, start publishing your own newsletter. If you'd really like to pursue that, let me know. I, I'm happy to put you in touch with some great people that I, I know that could help. And a lot of times they'd follow up and say, oh my God, thank you so much. I forgot I even told you about that. Yes, please introduce me to your web designer. Please talk to me about an e- email newsletter. I've been wanting to do it for years and I never taken I never took the time to figure out how to do it. And so I'd end up getting work out of it. I'd get a project and the same thing would happen over coffee. And then the same thing would happen over lunch. So I kept a lot of people busy just going out to get food. Yeah. So, so that's good. I mean, I think that's a good point is those people listening and watching on YouTube, listening on the podcast apps and stuff that you like. Um, 
get involved with some of these networking events that have these breakfasts so that other people can cook for you. <laughs> but you should be able to meet some people and ultimately make some sales and some relationships. Um, but even in the days of COVID, I mean, you can yeah. do virtual coffee meetings. Yeah, you can. And, and there, there are even live in-person stuff happening right now. It's all, it all depends on, you know, the organization and, and where, you, you know, how comfortable you are and everything with the upticks and whatnot. But exactly. I've been to a number of live stuff myself and it's always good to see people. I ran a golf tournament in August called the big event and we had over a hundred people for dinner. I mean, it was great networking, powerful. Yeah, um, the, um, the nonprofit I'm on the board of, we've had a golf tournament the past two summers and they've been sold out. Yeah. 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 So, uh, biggest mistake you made in marketing. Oh my God. Where do we begin? Um, I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make. No, 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 no. You made, you made, I want to know what you, I want to know the marketing consultant. I want to know the biggest mistake the marketing consultant made. I mean, I think we're all, maybe it's me. I'm a little type A neurotic. I, you know, we all have those perfectionist tendencies. And I think, you know, when I was starting out, you want everything to be perfect. Your website, your business card, your stationery, your, you know, every piece of collateral material, everything. And I think what I learned is you really don't need to wait for perfection because perfection never comes. You got to throw it out there and. Yeah, done is, be done is better than perfect. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Get Don your website up. And a lot of people kind of laughed and said, you know, here you are, a marketing consultant. You know, that's not a very fancy website. No. But, my, you know, there's a 1.0 and a 2.0. Yeah, my website agency, we were the, the, we were the last people to do our own website. I mean, we just, you know, it's the cobbler's kid's shoes kind of thing. Um, we are all cobbler's kids. And I always joke that the marketing consultants and the agencies that have the fanciest, most up-to-date websites that have time to blog and tweet and update their status every day, they probably don't have a lot of paying clients because they're spending a lot of time navel-gazing. I think people like you and me who just throw it out there and kind of say, well, I'll get around to it when I have a break. If you're busy, that's a good yeah. problem. Well, and also too, you come from the startup world, which is MVP, minimum viable product, right? And so you got to get to market as quick as possible some of this stuff. And, and small business owners, I think one of the challenges I've always said is that they don't make decisions quick enough. If they make them quicker, the, the quicker they make a decision, if they make the wrong decision, they have time to pivot. But if right. they don't make a decision for too long, then time passes and they're unable to pivot and correct in enough time to solve the problem, the issue, the concern. And so paralysis by analysis is a real thing. Like people need to make decisions and go and then suffer the consequences if they made the wrong one. I've made plenty of wrong ones in my life. Even in no. the last couple of weeks, I've made some really bad ones, you know? No, when but I was at P&G and we did market research, it took literally nine to 12 months to field the research. Yeah. I mean, when I worked at my first startup in Los Angeles, we would come up with an idea at breakfast over coffee. We would go down to the beach and intercept people on the beach that look like our target audience and ask them some questions. And then we'd come back to the office in the afternoon and throw up on our website the feedback that we got 
that day over lunch. And mm. every day we just iterated and iterated and iterated. And like you said, we threw it up there. We made some mistakes and every day we got better. We could see on the click throughs, we could see we were getting better traction. Yeah. And I think that's the way you have to do it because if you wait nine to 12 months today, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, the world works on internet time. So a couple questions I'd like to ask my guests before I let them go. Uh, the first one is software. Uh, I've always believed that many small business owners don't know uh, what's the best software to use. So what software that is not industry specific to you, it could be a game changer for another small business. I mean, I my first job out of college before I went to business school, I was an analyst on Wall Street. So I know this is going to sound weird, but I am a big fan of Excel. I use it for like, not just my taxes and mm -hmm. keeping track of all the kind of financials. Yeah, it's really more of a CRM for like, I use it for, like I am very comfortable with Excel because that's kind of my training and my background. And going back to our conversation earlier, you kind of have to stick to your strengths. A lot of people like Oracle and PeopleSoft and HubSpot. And I don't use all the fancy CRM systems. I yeah. use what works for me. I'm a big fan of email. Like I like, I am very, you know, old fashioned in that regard. So I think you have to kind of know what your own preferences yeah. are. And I mean, and I think some people have mentioned Google Sheets before. You know, so, yeah. so that's something that, I mean, I think, you know, I, I use Excel. I've kind of migrated to the Google sheet stuff and I like the formulas and the graphs and the charts and the pretty charts and stuff. So if you're going to use it, that's the point. One thing I always like to tell people is what's the best software? The one you actually use at and the end of the day. That, is, that yeah. is the perfect answer. So the next question that I always like to ask people is what business book would you recommend another small business owner read? So again, I'm a bit of a, maybe throwback to another generation. I think if you haven't read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, sure, you're, you're missing the boat. Like it, I think it's tried and true, evergreen, great advice. I think in terms of more current books, um, Anne Hanley uh, has oh, a yeah. book called How to Write. Everybody, Everybody, Everybody Writes. Writes. Yeah. You know, again, you don't have to be the world's best communicator, but you are always writing on email, you know, you don't have to be a columnist anywhere, but I think communicating clearly really matters. And I think she's really good at it. So yeah. And her emails that, are great. Yeah. I actually um, was in a training, a speaker training program with Ann Hanley and uh, she's, she's, she's the real deal. yeah, she's great. She's, she's a great friend to have too. She's very, yeah. very, uh, I, her, I spoke at one of their conferences and she yeah. is the real deal. So if yeah, you she's, read that, she's the type of friend that'll be by your side all the time. You know, see, yep. I see that with her and all her close friends. So yep. good stuff. And then I think the other one I would recommend if you don't know David Meerman Scott. Oh yeah. He's oh, another kind of tried and true. He's been a practitioner, you know, he's been in the chair. He's been the chief marketing officer. He's got the wounds in his back. He's got all the war stories and he's written a million great books uh, one of the latest ones um, is on kind of how to create fans at fanocracy. And, you know, he just every bit of advice he gives, I think, is like tried and true, battle tested. And again, he's the real deal. So I, I have yeah. a preference for kind of the classics 
and the people who have been in the trenches and really know what they're talking about in yeah. a very great talking way. And I'm pretty sure, because I know David um, through NSA, I'm pretty sure that Fanocracy, yes, was, I was almost, I just looked it up. It was written, co-written with his daughter, uh, Rico Scott. So a uh, great a great book to read and to look at it from the perspective of a best-selling author and journalist and professional speaker and also a teenager, you know, early, uh, I think she might be in her 20s now, but um, they but just kind of... Had, he's probably had a dozen books on the New York Times bestseller yeah. list. Everything, yeah, he is the real deal. He has yeah. a very clear, you know, straight-talking, practical battle tested that those are the best books to read i think cool so um how can anybody who's listening on uh, their favorite podcast app or watching on youtube how can they get a hold of you if they want to um network with you if they want to learn more about what it is you do or how you can help them, how, how can they reach out to you page so the two best ways are through my website mavensandmoguls.com it's spelled out m-a-v-e-n-s-a-n-d-m-o-g-u-l-s.com and linkedin uh, Page Arnoff hyphen Fen. So, and as one of my uh, venture capitalist buddies says to me, every time she forgets how to find me, she Googles Page and Mavens because she always forgets my hyphenated last name and both names of my company. And luckily, our site is optimized, and hopefully, that will lead you to find me. With a name like mine, if you're Googling me, it's really me. It's not yeah. some random <laughs> person. So, yeah, and we'll have all those links in the show notes as well on the website for those of you who want to check it out. Make sure that you uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast app that you're listening to right now. If you're walking, you're running, you're working, you're driving, we'd love to have you subscribe and get notified of all uh, the episodes that drop every business day here on the Mass Business Podcast. Um, make sure you subscribe on YouTube as well. As I like to say, smash that subscribe button and hit the notification so that when we put the videos up, you'll get notified. Until next time, don't forget. To live happy, smile a lot, and high five everyone around you. I'm waking up this morning, gonna grab myself a smile. Thank you for listening to the Mass Business Podcast, where we focus on growing a small business and understanding networking and referrals. Don't forget to like on your favorite platform and share out this podcast. This show has been produced by Heather Grant, music by Celtic Kelly, all rights reserved. I'm your host, professional speaker, author, and word-of-mouth referral consultant, Matt Ward. Don't forget to live happy, smile a lot, and high-five everyone around you. Feeling all right.